The first stage that we want to create, it's an environment that, that has the conditions for the life to flourish. So first, maybe we can try to create like this, this environment inside the body, this environment of understanding, of, of ranges of motion, of exposed to, to new movements, new patterns. Rodrigo, it's very nice to have you. Um, thanks for joining us on the Evolve and Play podcast. So you're Rodrigo, is your last name just Lima or Salo Lima? Yeah, my last name is Lima. But I, I created a mix between the middle name and the last name. So Rodrigo Salo Lima. Okay, cool. And you are the founder of Pratique Movimento in Brasilia. You were a student of Ido Portals for seven years, 2013 to 2020, correct? Yeah, 2013 to 2020. Yeah, that, that's right. Eight years studying directly with him. Nice. And then you also had a background before that in general fitness, calisthenics, and specifically capoeira. I love it yeah. and a lot, a lot of fitness and capoeira from 12 years old until 25 more or less. So a lot of years in capoeira as well. So between the time that you kind of stopped doing capoeira and the time that you started training with Ido, how long was that? Between the time? Okay. Probably five years of gap. Okay. Between so you started with Ido when you were uh, when you were thirty. Then okay, interesting. So, um, so that's your background. And then you mentioned in your uh, in our kind of back and forth before we did this interview that you also have a real strong interest in um, in xenoforestry. Is that what it's called? Yeah, it's syntropic farming. Syntropic forestry, yeah, or syntropic. Uh, yeah, syntropic. Yeah, it's kind of an arm of the agroecology, agroforest world. It's a term coined by a, a guy named Ernest Gitt. He's a Swiss guy that he was a scientist, botanical scientist, and he moved to Brazil in the 80s. He started actually to travel around the world, like researching the native agriculture around the world and in Costa Rica and a lot of places. He ended up in Brazil in the 80s. And he bought a land that was totally devastated, degraded. And he, it's, it's one of the areas of the more biodiversity nowadays. Like it's a lot of hectares, even like it, it rains sometimes during some time of the year, just in his region because of the, the reforestation. And it's, it's very philosophical, actually. I, I like to say like it's, it's philosophy for agricultures and agriculture for, for philosophers because it has a lot of good like theory behind uh, about like how to go from the simple things to the complex things, how to accumulate energy in, in the place. And I even use a lot of the, I borrowed a lot of the, the terms, the terminology uh, for the movement class to teach class because I feel in a way that it's very connected, like this yeah. biological uh, system, right? And we are biological beings. So, yeah, in a way, I, I feel very connected to this. 
Yeah, one of my favorite quotes is by uh, Margaret Stryker, who was a movement thinker from the early 20th century in Austria. And she said, uh, physical education is best seen as a form of applied biology. And, and so you you mentioned that just, I think, yesterday you sent me that message where you were uh, saying that that was one of your interests, which I wasn't aware of before. But I, I listened to some of your podcasts this morning, uh, some other interviews of you to kind of get familiar with your thought. And that was something that I thought would be a really interesting place to start. Um, I don't have a permaculture background. It's something I'm interested in, though. And I grew up on a kind of like hippie apple orchard with a, a garden and everything. Um, but a lot of people who follow my work have are, are also interested in permaculture. And I've come to have a small understanding of permaculture. And the sense that I have is that, you know, what I think of as a natural movement approach, as opposed to, say, a movement approach, um, is like permaculture of the body. And so I was thought that would be a really curious place to start. What is it that you see as the connection between uh, permaculture or uh, centropic centropic, um, agriculture and the movement practice? Yeah, um, I like to to use the the terms and the analogies. Like, for example, when we start to work in the earth, in, in an area, like in some degraded area, mm-hmm. the first stage that we want to create, it, it's an environment that, it's, that, that has the conditions for the life to flourish. It's not that we are going to start the life there. So we have to create the conditions for the, the life to flourish. And then I said, okay, so first the, the bodies are to- totally disconnected from from the the way it should be so first maybe we can try to create like this this environment inside the body this environment of understanding of of ranges of motion of uh, exposed to to new movements new patterns and it's called in the centropic farming as the placenta placenta it's it's a place of nutrition and, and also a place of removal so you accumulate nutrients uh, during the womb or in the earth, uh, but you also remove like gases and, and byproducts. And most of the time, I see that even philosophically, like the students, they have to remove some things because, uh, okay, let's say 78% of the people that comes has at least some kind of fitness background. Mm-hmm. And the fitness background... It's better than nothing, but anything is better than nothing. But it's hard for, for them to understand that, uh, for example, they don't need that amount of tension in some things. So first, like remove this, this kind of tension and then insert some other qualities, more elastic qualities and some things like this. I always make, make this connection between how we start to in the earth to create um, an environment to, to the things to flourish and how we should start with, with people, with regular people. Because I work with athletes, professional athletes, but then that's another story. But m- most of the, and, and also a lot of enthusiasts that already has some quote movement background, and, uh, in, like, like using this movement culture setup, whatever this is, or some parkour or, or other stuff. But most of them, they, they have like regular jobs, like I had, like eight hours in the office and kids and yeah, the, the rest of the life. 
And then I realized, okay, we, we have to, to create first like a, an environment before we put some more complex things. But let's make a parenthesis here. I think that in the beginning, I, I was so attached to, to some isolated things like the isolation, integration, uh, improvisation thing that I don't believe like 100% anymore, like that should be like for that long. Like, so since the beginning, I think that it's good to isolate some things, but also expose more to open scenarios because uh, yeah, our body is more intelligent than, than we think, right? Yes, absolutely. I, 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 I heard you mention that as well, that the, you have a bit of a critique of the, the I method, which um, for folks who are not familiar, the I method is the idea that we build movement capacity through isolating specific technical pieces, integrating them into larger segments, and then being able to improvise with them. Is that a correct description of the I method? Yeah, yeah. And don't get me wrong, like everything can create a disease. Like sometimes I see people that it's just open and just improvisation and just chaotic scenarios. And then uh, in my opinion, my view, I, I don't see nothing there. Like, I see like years of years of experiences and yeah. and good good practice and emotions and it's also good. But And sometimes for sure it's a better start isolating things. But sometimes I see that people and I'm not blaming the method, but I'm more blaming people that they get attached to it and they, they don't get the, the freedom to move away from that. Yeah, I have a, a critique of that uh, as well. And I've been on the other side. I've been in the place of complete chaos that also doesn't really, isn't as generative as it can be. Um, I'd like to come back to that topic, but I want to go a little bit more on the on the the topic of, of how these two things are connected, right? You spend okay. your life now cultivating students in a gym and online, and then you also spend your life cultivating this land and how do those things connect. So one of the, the thoughts that I've had is you said that the, the, the land already has this capacity to grow, but sometimes it needs to have things taken removed that are preventing it from, from fostering life. And sometimes it needs some additions. It needs some help. It needs these systems to come together. So um, what I've thought about permaculture as analogy to the natural movement perspective is the natural movement perspective recognizes that the human being has the capacity. It has the fruitfulness in itself to grow and to, and to become, and we are trying to um, trying to respect the internal systems. What is the ecology of a human being? How do you, grow that ecology um, and the way that i look at specialized practices is they're very much like um monoculture agriculture where you're trying to maximize the maximize the harvest of this one very specific output of the body but it's often very easy to deplete the capacity of the ecology to actually support its growth long term so you said you you work with mma athletes right so this the, I don't know if you work with other athletes as well, but I've seen your work with MMA athletes. This relationship of they need to have this very, very specialized ability and they need to be able to put huge volumes of time into it. But if they, if they, if we only extract martial arts ability over them over time, maybe we're failing to build that full ecology that can support the productivity of the whole ecology. So that's some of the ideas that I've been playing with. And I just wanted to 
cast those idea back to you and say, okay, how do you, how do you see this, this balance of respecting the ecology of the person, respecting the capacity of the system to grow, um, balancing the need for specialization. No and then case. also, I think it's very interesting, the idea of how do we remove the things that are preventing the ecology? So you can kind of pick up wherever you want in that stream of like five different questions. <laughs> okay, let me try. It's a good mission. Um, I think I should uh, go back and start talking directly about the the, the syntropic agriculture and then the principles there mm-hmm. and how it starts. Because I think it's it's the place that I had most insights of my life. Like sometimes I, I go there and I'm not even thinking about any kind of challenge or problem that I'm having with my own training, with the business, because I, I have to use the, the businessman hat also and, and with the students and with relationships. And then I'm there and then I, boom, I, I create a connection of something that, that is happening there. Like, for example, uh, some, some species of tree that it's not um, happy with that amount of shadow that it's, it's, it's over, over it. Mm-hmm. And then you have to prune. And we, we prune a lot. We prune a, a lot in the centropic farming. We are all the time like using the electric saw, the, the, the manual saw, and, and, and cutting and chopping and spreading the floor. It's even weird for people when they see it, sometimes it's because I don't post much, but I'm using the electric saw all the time, like pruning and, and putting trees down. And then it, it maybe can, people can see like, wow, but you are, you are like killing the, the trees because sometimes if you plant right in the beginning, a plant that it's a, a more high in the, hierarchy, let's say, of the system. Like, for example, if you plant a plant that grows just in the Amazon forest here in the middle part of Brazil, it's a very dry climate that was already devastated by, by, by farms and things like this. It, it, won't, it wouldn't thrive. So first, we, we put like some, some corns, some herbs, some, some things that can thrive at that, with that conditions. And then you have to prune. And then that, that plants, they, they had the ability to extract minerals and nutrients that were stuck in the floor, like bonding with, with another chemicals, mm-hmm. but, and they were not available in the floor. And then when you put it in the floor, it, it turns available again. And then you can like, for example, bring something exotic, like for example, eucalyptus, which is from Australia forest, it's not from Brazil. And eucalyptus here, people say, oh, it's a plague. You, you, should, you should be uh, very careful to plant eucalyptus because it can destroy its invasor. And I say, we are all invasors. We, we are walking around the world since the beginning of age. And sometimes, because we did a lot of destruction already, you bring the eucalyptus because he can thrive at that place and he can grow fast. And he can he can can penetrate the floor and open space for the other roots get a ride and and go there with them. And eucalyptus you can prune like twice three times a year and it grows again. And when it when you prune, it starts to release in, in the earth the growth hormones of the plants and, and it can stimulate uh, with in the network 
of of the 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 micro microbiome of the earth and, and yeah the connection with the bacteria and fungus and it start to release that and they communicate so it, it send a message to the the samauma the amazon tree that wouldn't thrive without the eucalyptus there so this is something i know it sounds like i'm just talking about that but all the time i'm thinking okay now it's time to prune now it's time to remove what should i remove in my body so i had to remove for example the amount of strength work i, I was totally addicted to to strength work and the amount of tension that i was carrying uh, yeah yeah it was very nice to produce power in athleticism and, and, and yeah for combat sports was nice but then i i was trying to use my body in a more efficient way so what what i have to prune in my practice so i had, let's prune a little bit of the strength work like this let's let's uh, diminish the volume and raise the volume of, of some other practice or even like emotionally like what relationships should i prune in my life where am i spending the energy that if i if i prune uh, other other aspects of life will start to to thrive and i'm all the time like thinking about how how can i uh, help people uh, discover what they they have to prune in their lives right? to to have a better body to have a better understanding to create this better environment for things to thrive so it's it's more like uh, thinking more about collaboration right because uh, we were taught to we i'm saying as a society we were taught to think about nature as, as competition but it's more collaboration like it's the organism forest so the tree is not thinking about itself as a tree it's about the forest it's about the organism the the forest it's alive like it, it needs disturbances and and every every human being i'm seeing a lot of honest ideas here okay but they are like things that yeah. i'm very passionate about and we all have our holds in, in society and in the nature. And they the, the holds of the, the big primates is to create disturbances. Like we we climb trees and we were living in the trees and, and sometimes we, we were like cutting cutting the trees and dropping down some branches of the trees that were already like getting old. And this disturbance is good. So the forest is alive and we have and people tend to protect areas right no no let's protect this is a pro area of protection human beings cannot go in because we are already fucked up as, as a society but imagine the power of human beings if they were there to create positive impacts and remove things that are already old and put in the floor so the the nutrients can can go back and the more um the more complex things can grow that we're waiting for that sunlight for so long. So, yeah, a lot of ideas. I, I don't know if I answered your question, yeah. but I gave a lot of things. There was a lot of questions, So, um, but there's a few beautiful themes in there. Like, you're speaking my language because I'm a big primate. He spends a lot of time in the trees. Yes. <laughs> and when I'm up in trees, there's dead branches. And the dead mm -hmm. branches are a hazard because if I'm moving in the trees and I uh, am having to react and not knowing that, like, if something goes wrong in the tree, 
and I reach out to grab something, if I leave the dead branch there, there's a chance that that I will think that it's going to catch me and it'll actually, it's a booby trap, right? So I'm when I'm in the trees, I'm removing the dead branches. And a lot of, you know, so there's a certain perspective on sustainability that views that as a, as, you know, destructive of the environment. But when you understand ecology, you see that, that there's a, there's a, that, that we can actually contribute to the health of the forest that we can, yeah, you can tread too much, but also like grass, for instance, if you, if you have a grassy field and you take, um, you know, you throw a, a concert in the grassy field, you can destroy the grass. But the grass isn't supposed to be left alone. The grass thrives best when herbivores come and eat the grass. So if the herbivores come and they and they they chop the grass with their with their teeth, then the roots grow into the soil and become more resilient. And they break up the soil and they make the the whole ecology richer. And that is exactly kind of the role that that premise had played with specific types of trees. Um, so I, I think that's that's fascinating. Um, just to my my dad said something to me once, which I really liked. My dad's a, a natural architect. And he said that his goal in creating a house is to create more ecosystem than he removes in creating the house. Hmm. All of his roofs are living roofs. Um, and and that was like, ah, that's that's beautiful. That's that's the kind of ethic that we want. And so if we want to utilize nature and train in nature, we want to be doing so in a way that's actually oriented towards how do we create more health in that natural system? How do we create more opportunities for nature? How do we advocate for the natural world to, to be, um, to be grown, you know, to be made space for. So I really, really just appreciated what you said there. And I thought that was really beautiful to be able to give the analogy of like working with these plants, trying to get the soil to produce more. I, there is a there is a role that the human can play that has to do with recognizing the relationships and the systems and i think that's very much like what we're doing as a coach is being able to see the the potential within the individual and then being able to ask what can be added and what can be taken away and when you're talking about the pruning um i think it's a beautiful analogy i think we think how to prune your practice is a really good, really good theme for people to think about and to play with. Um, also, uh, there's something that crossed my mind, some other analogy of the, the centropic farming and, and the body. Like, for example, like, like what, what your father uh, does. It's, it's that old concept of, of uh, sustainability is that uh, you, you don't create any negative impact. No, you let the place better than the place was before you were there, right? And sometimes I, I, I see this disease like in, in the more fitness and, and controlled world. Like it, it's very focused in not create uh, any injuries or any inflammation um, beyond the capacity of the body and maybe because of fear of the business and, and lawsuits and some things like this. Uh, but if you focus in just don't create anything uh, bad, sometimes you won't be you won't receive the gifts the gifts of walking a little bit more towards the 
the limit there. And, 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 and it's not just like, no, let's, let's make it sustainable. Let's make our body like this. Of course, we are getting old, but we can evolve until the last day in some areas or, or on others. And even though the body is it's walking towards degradation, uh, we can find ways to use it in a more efficient way, more subtle way, more exuberant way, in a more collaborative way. This is some things that I believe. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a concept that I came across recently that I like, which is what is the orthopedic cost of a training modality, right? So if you're, um, if you're doing a lot of heel hooks in jiu-jitsu, right? There's an orthopedic cost to that. There's a there's a rate at which you're uh, potentially stressing the the knee joint. Um, the the interesting thing about that is that the stress itself is nutrition, as long as the dose is appropriate. The problem with the heel hook is that it's very very easy to overdose. <laughs> very easy, right? Very easy. Yeah, I, I practice the BJJ as well. Actually, I practice like grappling, so they don't give a name. My teacher is a luta livre black belt guy, and it's a very tricky place. Like the beginning, I was having a lot of injuries more than I should, until I find a better mindset to to practice. It took a while. Yeah. So back to climbing the tree, right? So trees are living tissue, and just like bones or muscles. They grow stronger in relationship to the type of stressors that they're under. And just like living tissue, they uh, they have a load tolerance capacity for any given period of time. So you can mm -hmm. acutely break a tree branch by overloading it, and you can wear it down by loading it faster than it can recover. Right? Yeah. You can break the bark and allow diseases into the into the, the cambium. Um, so you can overstress it. But properly stressed, your movement in the tree can actually make that tree more robust so that in a windstorm, it's actually stronger than it would have been if you hadn't been climbed. Rafe, let me interrupt you because you know what happened like a few, few weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, we used to plant a lot more than we will remain in the future. It's like the logic of the forest. So yeah. in one square meters, it's like 100 seeds I put. Mm -hmm. So... The one, the, the system will choose the one to try. Yeah. So I had like three copaiba. Copaiba, it's a, maybe you know, uh, people use for inflammation, the throat has a very nice oil, the alternative medicine here. I don't like this term alternative medicine, but it's okay. And we, I had three copaiba trees, more or less the same size. And then I said, okay, now I have to choose. I have to choose one of them. It, it start to get tight for them. And then I, I prune two of them. Like right, right in the floor, and I let just one, and I forget about it. It, it was last year, and then so, so a few weeks ago, I was there pruning, and then I said, "Oh, the copaiba that I that I, I let here, the one that I chose." Mm -hmm. But the one that I chose was already so weak because one of the other two that I pruned, it get it got a little bit wider the 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 trunk, and it was even higher. Than the other, so maybe the conditions were not the, the right timing for the one that I chose. Like, who am I to choose? Like, the, the nature didn't choose that. So maybe it was nice to, to cut there, and, and and she had it had time to to accumulate more energy and wait for the perfect conditions and release more growth hormones, and then boom, 
it grew so fast and then I didn't choose anything. The, the nature chose it, the forest chose. Yeah. Reminds me of that. Yeah. So often with these complex systems, we don't know what the what the impact of our intervention will be. Hey, so now we need to take a moment for a word from our sponsor, which is ourselves, Evolve Move Play. You may not know this, but Evolve Move Play has an amazing online course system designed to help you take on the ideas that we share in this podcast as an actual physical practice. So we built in-depth instructional guides to help you build a complete natural movement practice, including how to safely build your skills up, how to identify areas where you can train, whether in a beautiful natural space like this, a gym, a playground, or an urban area near you, whatever you need to make it work for you. We designed a way to incorporate it into an overall natural movement lifestyle to help rejuvenate your body and mind and how to integrate mindfulness so that you can gain the most from your movement practice and translate it into your life. When you join any of our programs, you'll also get access to our exclusive members area. This is a online forum separated from all the big social media sites where you're gonna have dedicated conversations around movement, mindfulness, nature connection, community, the core themes that we explore on the Evolve Move Play podcast. There's a growing community from all over the world we're now putting the Evolve Move Play practices into their lives. We want you to join us in experiencing how powerful that can be and how powerful a space devoted to these practices can be. So if you've been loving the ideas that we share on the Evolve Move Play podcast, I think you owe it to yourself to take the next step and experience what Evolve Move Play can offer as a teaching platform. There's so many great resources for you and we've got a variety of programs available that you can get started with that Mia, meet your level or if you really want to save some money you can grab one of our bundles that covers a variety of our programs if you love the ideas that are shared on the evolve move play movement podcast and you want to take them from just being ideas to actually being practices that you're using in your life then you can start today by joining us for one of our online courses or you can save big by grabbing a bundle of many of our courses together you can find those at the uh, link in the description or by clicking here yes it's the, the illusion of being a leader of a community. Like I have now almost 300 students in, a, in the facility. And I was so young at the beginning and so naive. And I had the illusion of trying to control. And it's easier to control communities with less than 150 homo sapiens. Yeah. Uh, and at the beginning, I was like, really, really, okay, let's, let's go there trying to guide. And now more and more, I'm, I'm letting the system self-regulate and, it, and it, it is self-regulating itself. Uh, of course, it's a network and every individual has some, um, your function there. And I have a very important function there as, as a leader, as the creator, the founder, but it's not the only one. So sometimes I, this year was one of the, the ones that I most received this lesson of, okay, you have to release, you have to let it flow a little bit, and then you come insert some ideas and let it flow. And it's eight years, seven years of the facility right now. So the first centennial is a very important um, uh, place in, in the existence of the facility. And I realized that, okay, it's, it's not, it's almost like a, a teenager right now. So it doesn't want to be glued to the, to the parents 
that that much anymore yeah. let let them hang out let them choose let now the the, the students are coming with ideas uh, with projects with solutions for for the problem so yeah that's, that's the forest that's the interesting thing is when you're when you're a leader you want to create leaders but um but you have to make room to let them lead eventually and they won't <laughs> They won't always lead exactly where you would have led. Yeah, like I, I went through that when I was uh, when I uh, when I developed Parkour Visions, that Parkour facility that I uh, was the lead instructor for from 2008 to 2013. Like early on, it was forming the understanding of parkour with this with the students who became coaches, and then eventually it was like recognizing each of the coaches had a unique set of talents. And a unique perspective that had to be woven together where it wasn't so much just me passing it down as it was learning to bring together what was coming up from the students and that was a yeah that was a really interesting ex ex exploration and unfortunately i didn't get to kind of complete that process but it sounds like you're experiencing something similar with your facility yes what sure. are what are some of the ideas that are coming up in your facility that are a surprise to you or the way that it's going its own way that maybe is different from where you're going currently. Yeah. Um, let me, let me see. Uh, I was sometimes um, maybe blocking a little bit the creativity in the beginning because people full of ideas, but I was trying to present a new perspective, a new way to, to do things. And, and then I, I was okay, no, 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 let's, let's put the foot in the brake. Let's do the things that are already, are already there. And, but then I realized, okay, now they already understand like what we are doing here. I have students that are with me for seven years, five years, four years. So now they already understand the, the philosophy behind and we have already our, our culture, our symbols our codes and and then I said okay present me something and then they 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 come with some material that I said man that that's beautiful and it's not like physical educa educator teachers or or physiotherapists it's people that are like working in the office or or some some other stuff and they are coming with with these these ideas like the the small groups of interests there like sometimes I go there in the afternoon and then there are five people uh, researching some more dance work and researching some more fighting work, mm -hmm. but not disconnected from the things that they are learning in the facility. Like I received a lot of propositions in the beginning of people from other disciplines. Like, hey, there are a lot of uh, times during the day that you are not using the facility, let me rent, let me teach BJJ, let me teach dance, let me teach anything. And I was categorical in saying no, 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 because uh, it's not a school of, of different disciplines. But in my mind, I, I, was, I was having this dream, like one day people will teach BJJ here, but it, in the best of the scenarios, he, will, he or she will be uh, already my student for some years and and it will teach BJJ through a different lens mm -hmm. uh, and now it, it started to to happen 
the encounters like uh, my mother is my student and also my my business partner mm -hmm. and she from from her head her idea she started to create some uh, women's group encounters there and it's happened like once every two months and it, it's i never i was never there uh just for women but the things that I, I, I read and the, the ones the, the students are telling me that happened there, it's beautiful. Like this, this community thing, this self-caring and, and sorority and, and one helping each other. And, and the parties that, that are happening there. And we have the, the rooftop also that at the beginning, nobody was using the rooftop. I was like, hey, they're maybe they don't realize that they can finish the training, the practice and go to the sun. And, and now I go there, people are there having conversations, like profound conversations and having nice baths and, and meditating, doing internal practice. Um, sometimes I go there uh, after the morning, like to have lunch. And I, I think to myself, what a gift is to, to have this lifestyle, to have this contact of people that, are talking about meaningful things and more and more I'm feeling disconnected from my, some of my childhood friends because the, the community it's, it's attracting or people are getting attracted by community. I think both sides, people that has this interest in at least talk about and try to, to evolve in, in many senses as, as human beings. Um, yeah, this is something that I love there. That's wonderful. Yeah, the, that aspect um, of how the community grows to um, be to facilitate not only the movement itself, but general curiosity and development of the of the individuals is a really beautiful thing. In the early days of Parkour Visions, when we were still teaching out of a, uh, a CrossFit gym, um, I, one of my students was uh, Stephen Guillen, who's a neurobiologist uh, from University of Washington, who's very interested in ancestral health. And so he and I would just sit down and talk to each other for, you know, 20, 30 minutes after class about ancestral health paradigm. And like many of the students will just stay to just hear us talk. Um, and, and there's this beautiful way in which really important dialogues can happen very naturally in uh they can, they can come naturally out of a movement practice. This is actually how one of the big themes of my most recent course that I put out is this, that this is actually the origin of philosophy, that philosophy came from the gymnasium first. That's where all the dialogues started. So it's, a, it's beautiful. I wanted to now kind of dig specifically into movement itself, right? So I, I was very influenced by Ido at a certain point. Um, but I'm also very critical in some ways of movement culture. I think that there's some really wonderful things that we've discovered within that. And it's really cool to see this integration that's happening. But I also have uh, areas where I think it, it's missing something important. But um, I don't know exactly what's inside movement culture perfectly because I don't spend my time there. You're, uh, that's, that's your world. So tell me what it means to practice movement. What is a movement practice? What is a movement practice in my view? Yeah. Yeah. Funny you asking this. I have two friends that I, I talk regularly. And in the last weeks, we are 
trying to to find a, a small definition like one minute and a half to two minutes mm-hmm. and i send the video and then he sent me back and then and she sent another and we are doing this as an exercise unfortunately or fortunately i don't have a, a right answer um i also think that a movement culture is very controversial and and it's just a name nowadays it's just a name it has a big value in the the past to glue together and to attract a lot of people together that were disconnect in the world like doing some things having the same passions but without a name or a community even though i don't i don't feel this as a big community I feel, uh, yeah, but the name was important, I think, as a container to, to carry. So you're saying that currently you don't feel like movement culture has coherence as a community? Is that what I heard you say? I, I, I don't feel, I don't feel connected to a lot of things that people are calling movement culture over there. I, I don't feel connected to some things, but it's not a criticism, like, it's just maybe lack of understanding or maybe people that want to surf on a trend and get into some boat and then they call, ah, this is movement, this, this movement. I don't know what is movement. And I'm like really inside this world for a lot of time. So, uh, more and more, I, I have my restrictions to say, to explain what I'm doing. Like I'm, I'm using movement as a as a, a perspective to travel to life in life to like i i also call like i don't say that we have a life practice but I, i'm saying to my students all the time we are trying to cultivate and create a life practice but i don't think that any one of us including me already have this like uh, more and more i I feel that there's no difference between the things that I'm doing in the facility or the things that I'm doing in a workshop of something and the life outside. There's no life outside and life inside. There's just one life. Uh, so I, I think that it's a good way to, to pass time and cultivate some values and, and learn and evolve uh but it, it's hard like I, I'm not um uh, I, I don't like to engage much into this kind of discussions on the internet I actually I, I admire you and a lot of people a lot like the capacity to engage in really profound conversations like you Simon Takur is another guy that it, it's I, I admire him a lot I read his things like uh, one day one decade ago I was reading and Sometimes I say, okay, I feel so young. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I feel so young, like in my soul. Uh, and I, yeah, maybe some insecurity. But more and more, I'm feeling secure about the things that I'm doing here. So I don't know much about what, what people are doing over there. I just don't like to, to call like strength on the rings, handstand, and some quadrupedal work has movement. Uh, this I don't I don't feel connect anymore. Like, ah, this is movement. Sorry, uh, that's no. uh, I'm writing an article about what I think a good model of a generalist in movement is right now, and this is basically <laughs> what I say. 
was the the original practices the movement culture when it developed right that it was a uh, and uh, yeah it's, tell me if i if i have this wrong but uh, kind of the way that i see it was Ido came from capoeira right and he started to really explore the depth of the floreo aspect of capoeira and he also was interested in strength conditioning so he was influenced by charles poliquin um and this was right, right around the time when crossfit developed like one of i remember very early on, I was talking to Ido in 2011. He's like, I don't do any Metcons anymore. I only do Floreo. So to me, I see it as very much kind of like following in the footsteps of CrossFit, the space that CrossFit opened up. But CrossFit has this archetype of that the ultimate move, the ultimate fitness is uh, Olympic lifter, middle distance runner, and uh, and gymnast. And so then I saw that like the early version of, of movement culture is something like Floreo, hand balancing, ring strength, and then maybe some aspects of Russian martial arts. Uh, that's what I see was kind of brought into it. And then Daskala Jacob came in and the aspects from, from boxing. It's, 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 it's a bit more, it's a bit more ephemeral. It's not as easy to say, just like with, with, uh, with, uh, with CrossFit, it's, you know, Olympic lifter, middle distance runner and, and gymnast, and that's kind of like a lot of the gymnastics has been tossed out of out of CrossFit at this point. But you can mm. see that, that that archetype is relatively stable over time. But it feels like in movement culture, it's a much more amorphous. But still, that's the dominant thing that you see. When someone tags movement culture on Instagram, they're probably going to be doing some kind of quadrupedal movement or some hand balancing or some ring strength. Um, and then maybe punching tennis balls some other drills and i i don't think that that is the best model for how we develop something that you would call movement um i think that it doesn't have the capacity to transfer well into many other movements if those are the base practices um so it, uh, you sent me a uh one of your your podcasts where you discussed some of my work and how you know it, it was it was beautiful. I, I it took me a really long time to get to the point of, of getting to the point where I was where you, you mentioned my name. We talked about the kinesthetic sense of connection that you had when you saw my work. It felt like something that you could move into. Um, but before that, you were talking about movement culture. It's like you're you're committed to movement culture. The, the previous movement culture is parkour, right? That it comes up, and so so why movement culture and not parkour, for instance? For me, where where's the why the flag there? For me, yeah, for you. Okay, um, I I for sure was attracted by the the video that gave the, the the carrot for most of the people I know in the past, which was the YouTube self dominance doportal video. Mm -hmm. The first time that I saw, to be honest, I said, "Huh, okay." If I train, I can do this. And the first time that I met him in Australia, I told him this. Like the first time I saw your video, I said, hmm, "If I train, I can do this." And he said, "Yeah, for sure." And it's true. If you train, you can do this. But this was just to 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 call the attention. Yeah. And and then I start to to do the work. Of course, in the beginning, I agree with you. It was much more strength work and Floreo's acrobatics, martial and tactics game. 
but already a lot of expressive work. I don't, I don't know if it's the right word word because I had a good discussion with Shai Faran, my, my teacher. I have still a, a lot of contact with her. She's even coming to Brazil uh, oh. soon. And she said, I, I don't feel that it, it's a good word to call it expressive player. Because for me, maybe doing a chin-up can be expressive. But okay. And we were already doing like these martial arts and object manipulation and some expressive work. And, but also a lot of somatic work, like a lot of standing still and shaking and some Feldenkrais inspired, let's say, work. And... And then I said, hey, it's, it's much more profound than what I thought. And the velocity of the, the changing of the things that he was teaching at the time and the difference between the things that he was teaching in the, in the workshops and the things that he was teaching in the more smaller groups, it, it was incredible for me. It was a, for sure a game changer. Like I, I changed my life because of that. I was, I was working eight, nine hours a day in an office job in the air conditioning, getting stressed with a lot of people taking like medicines to, to work and then to sleep. And even though I was graduating physical education, I was teaching capoeira when I was young as a teenager, I was still like teaching one or two person just as an extra money for me but then i realized hey this this kind of 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 teaching this i i want to teach again this i can practice this practice i, I think uh it can be um it can fulfill me for more time and then i got into it i'm not saying that there were a lot of things that didn't match with myself so after some years there, I realized first the, the financial burden for me was so high because living in Brazil, at the beginning, the economy, I was having to multiply things by two and a half. And then at the end, I, I, I was having to multiply things by five times, six times more. So I started to feel exhilated financially from the world. So this is, was for sure a big reason. But also... I started to feel the necessity to do my own thing, to do my, the things that I really like and, and to teach the things that I think people are needing most. People that are not going to dedicate 80% of their lives to movement like I was doing at the time. Yeah. And, and then I, this, this was a big force for me, like, okay. I, I want to climb this mountain, but I don't want to climb in the same trail and exactly mountain that somebody else is climbing, is climbing. So I still see him as a big intellectual reference. He's doing things that uh, he's not sharing. He's not sharing much. So I think it's a little bit hard for people to, to have a grasp of that. Um, I, even because there are, it's very difficult things to to share and it's not sexy anymore it's the opposite of that it's not like backflips with six pack abs and but I, I i like this i like the the things that are behind 
I like to, to focus on, on the things that are more repeating themselves between various disciplines. Yeah. Uh, I loved parkour, but I, I, I'm, I'm from a generation that uh, I think that were parkour happening at the time, but more towards Europe. And, but in Brazil, I was playing in the streets. I was trying to climb things and getting into the swamps and, 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 and doing my things. And, but I was also like doing a lot of trails and going to the waterfalls and, and doing my things there. And I was not seeing this, the, the movement culture at that time. This was a big gap for me. I don't know if there was a specific reason for that, but yeah, I, I'm kind of losing myself here. Because it's so complex and I'm not talking about my my things. I'm talking more about my journey there with Ido. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I am curious. So about the, so there's, um, I, I tend to think of like movement culture, uh, like a lot of things, I think you can think of it in like a very strict or narrow sense and then in a very wide sense. So like there's parkour and then there's the practice that David Bell had. Right. And, and then there's a lot of people now who like do parkour who don't really do so much what David Bell was doing. Mm -hmm. Right. And then with David, he doesn't really teach his, you know, mostly even his direct students don't teach anymore. But, um, but there are people who maybe have a very similar approach and spirit to the beginning. Uh, and so then you can kind of say, Hey, what is it that we gain? What is it that we learn? What is it? that's within that right that early training um and then what is with the, what is the broader community right so i try to separate my critique of edo from my critique of movement culture right mm -hmm. but they're related because he lays the conceptual groundwork but what i see happening propagating itself through social media i find relatively shallow but i don't find edo shallow and what you just said um what I, what I heard was that what attracted you to Ido was the conceptual depth with which he looked at movement and the yeah. width, the breadth of the scope of how he was approaching it. And I think this is interesting because if you look at the founders of parkour, um, David Bell, but also uh, uh, Williams Bell, Shao Bell, Laurent Pimontesi, Jan Hanatsura, the, all those guys, almost all the things that Ido explored, they also explored. So they, mm -hmm. they're doing hand balancing, <laughs> you know, either did one, one minute handstand the hard way. I wanted to challenge Shao to do one minute handstand their hard way, which would be at the edge of a building. Right. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're doing handstands 60 feet off the ground on the edges of buildings, 400 feet off the ground. Um, Capoeira, they, they train in Capoeira, B-boy, they train in Capoeira, uh, B-boy, they did rock climbing. They did, uh, uh, Via Vodal and various other martial arts. The big difference is that um, that I saw is they're not especially highly educated people, the founders of parkour. Especially what? They're not highly educated. Mm -hmm. Right? If you go and you train with them, you get a sense of the culture. It's a feel. It's an intuitive sense. But they won't wow you with words. Right? Um, but it's actually... Hey, why, why do you think there are not so many mature practitioners like you in, in the parkour community? It's a curiosity that I have. Um, I think there are. You just don't see them, right? Mm. It's like, 
you know, my perspective on, on movement culture is, is limited because I see Instagram and I don't spend lots of time in the, in that culture. And I think you're maybe experiencing the same thing from the opposite side, right? I can point you to lots of people who are in their thirties and forties, like all the, all the founders of parkour are now in their forties and almost all of them still practice and are really robust and, and practicing at a very high level. And in interesting and really diverse ways, like if uh, if you're not familiar with William Spell, check check out what he's doing. He's training athletes for um, the Olympics in in rock climbing now. Let me say something because you said that uh, we're doing the the same things, but uh, I, I would just share this because I I heard like he does interview on um, Huberman recently, okay. and he put this out so. So he, he already put this out. I don't have any problem to say things that he said. Um, he liked to, to use like some, a lot of slice and dice approach to face movement. And one of the approaches is the five pillars. Yeah. And they are the expressive work, so the dance, dance work, the martial layer. So the, the, the expressive pillar, the martial pillar, the object manipulation pillar, the environmental movement practice, this is for sure the name is influenced by Marcello Paloso. It was another name, which parkour is for sure inside, interacting with the environment. And the somatic pillar. And there are a lot of disciplines, complex and beautiful, like parkour, that can communicate with the other pillars, right? Yeah. In parkour, there are a lot of somatic work there and, and object manipulation, maybe not so much, but for sure, that is most of the others. They are stuck, and wh what is moving is is the body. Yeah, uh, I saw some practitioners doing some martial things. The expressive layer is for sure there because it, it is expressive, but uh, there are not so many micro movements of the smallest parts of the body. There are not so many interaction with uh, the floor, like soft floors and fluid movements. Uh, so some things like this. So. It's just one way to, to face movement in this perspective. I like to use them as a map, as a map of my own practice and, and as a map of the contents that I'm sharing in my facility. I think it's a, it's a good it's thing. The same. Uh, EMP is the same. I, did, I, I just have started listening to that Heberman Lab uh, podcast, so I haven't gotten to the point where he talks about that. But um, so I think there are essentially um, there are let's say three primal relationships that we have to the external world. There's mm -hmm. the way that we move ourselves through the world. So that's the environmental practice. So I call that the mm -hmm. body to environment practice. So I was influenced by, um, by uh, Joseph Rusek and fighting monkey. He had this beautiful yeah. way of describing uh, things as body to body practice. So I said, okay, body to body practice, body to object practice, body to environment practice. Yeah. Which I love the way he organized ideas. Joseph, it's, I, li I like the philosophy there. Yeah. I don't have much of the practice, but I love the philosophy. Yeah. So, and then, so back in 2010, I had looked at the, the 10 core movements of Georges Hebert's Méthode Naturelle, which was, you know, walk, run, jump, move on all fours, swim, balance, lift, carry, um, def uh, self-defense, I missed one, but uh, you get the basic idea. But you can you can take those and you can break them down and say the first six are locomotion, and the second two are manipulation, and then you have 
interaction with others, self-defense, right? So you're so you have these three things. And then you could say that's that's the fundamental relationships we have with the physical world. We are an agent that moves through the world. We there's how we relate to the spaces around us. There's the things that we can move and manipulate and how we move and manipulate them. And then there's other active agents and how we interact with them. So those are the three like primary utilitarian things. And then the, the, the fourth aspect there is the expressive, which is the term I use for it as well. But um, the interesting thing about that is it's not, it's not, it's not, um, it's not separate in the same way that those three others are separate from each other. It, it doesn't, it's not along the same sort of trajectory in a way because dance actually lives in all of them. Mm -hmm. So you're, you can do locomotive dance. You can dance parkour. Yes. You can dance with a, you know, with a hula. You can dance with, uh, with contact uh, balls, right? Um, and then obviously you can dance, dance with other people. And then the, what, what you were calling the somatic layer, I call the body integrity practices. So it's the same, it's the same conception um, in that sense. But I guess the distinction for me, uh, or that I see, and I may be wrong in the way that I'm that I'm conceptualizing this, maybe this is not the way that is that I prioritize parkour as the base of the of the of the as the best expression of the locomotor, right? Mm -hmm. Locomotion, body to environment, because we didn't evolve to solve complex movement problems on flat ground. Mm -hmm. We evolved to solve complex movement problems in relationship to the environment. And it's the same way. It's like, there's a, I, uh, so then for me, you know, sparring in MMA, that's, that's the primal physical thing, right? When it comes to interaction with somebody else's, can you, can you dominate in a fight? And when you do that, you have to actually practice fighting. Yeah. You, it's, Even it's, simple things like running in the street, in the concrete, and running in the forest, in the trail, the effect that it has in your body is completely different. Yeah. And then, that, yeah, and then that's the next layer is this idea of what. So, one of the, my favorite things that Ido said is you're a specialist, you're a human first, a mover second, and a specialist last. And so, I tend to think that movement culture gets a little trapped in thinking about the movement layer and not going to the human layer. And what I hear in you and what you're saying about what's what's happening with uh, your school is actually that you're really rising up to the human layer. That's where your focus is. That's where your passion is, is okay. We get people doing these practices and now we have community. And now that community is reinforcing and the, the interest in cold bathing is coming in the interest in philosophical discussions coming in and now we are um we are gaining something through the movement practice that is impacting the whole human and not just the expression of movement that's going to look good on instagram right you know what i never heard any of my podcasts and i don't even remember what i said in the old ones but this one here i will listen just to to hear you saying this beautiful put <laughs> Again, because, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. One thing that is a criticism that I have towards myself and the thing that, uh, that I'm doing here in Pratique Movimento, and I'm talking about that with the students, so we as a community can find ways to solve this problem. It's, it's a very comfortable place. Mm -hmm. uh, the floor is nice and, and have the, the, a lot of bars and you hang and 
And sometimes I see, I, I'm always saying this, but saying is not enough. I'm saying, hey, you don't need, you really don't need a teacher. It's good to have. And you really don't need a physical space to move. The, the movement, it's everywhere. And we should go more outside. So I'm trying to promote more outdoors encounters. But I feel that it's very comfortable, even for me. Sometimes I, I go like on Sunday and then I, I want to go to the facility and then I go to the facility and then, oh, fuck, why am I here? I, I should go out more. So it's easy to fall in this comfort zone. So this is a criticism that I'm trying to solve and I'm talking about that with the students so we can find ways to, to solve this. Yeah, I, I've seen that. So when we started our, our uh, parkour facility, Right. We had a very active outdoor facility, outdoor community of parkour athletes, probably 60 to 70 athletes who were really training in the Washington parkour community at that time, which it's not so many, but it's enough that it feels like a real community. Right. And then we had a gym and then now we had 300 students, but the number of people who were going outside went from 60 to 70 to 15 because, because, um, when you go outside, people kick you off stuff. Right. When you go outside, strangers ask you questions. When you go outside, it's scarier and, you know, and the weather's bad sometimes. And also, so much of what motivates people is social. And so, when you, if there's an open gym at the gym, you go there, there's people there. But mm -hmm. if you, if you go to the park, you have to call somebody and say, Hey, do you want to get together? You have to try and meet up and fix each other's schedules. So I chose nature, right? And I went and trained in nature almost exclusively uh, for many years. Interestingly enough, at this moment, my practice is mostly happening at a ninja gym. Um, and I'm I'm noticing my loss of some rusticity, right? That I'm like a little more resistant to go practice outside in the cold. Um, the reason that I'm doing that is because um, because I've had some injuries and I've had some health problems. And so it's a very safe place that I need right now to, to rebuild certain qualities and capacities. But also, it's wonderful right now because all of my family is having a really good experience there. So we can all go together. Whereas some of the places that I go in nature requires much more attention from me to make sure that they're safe and having a good time. So there's this stacking your life element, which is interesting. But... Um, but what's happening at the Ninja Gym is now we've the town, I moved from Seattle, which is you know two million people and a big parkour community, to a town called Bellingham, which is a hundred thousand people and a very small parkour community of five guys. Very hard to get anyone to get together, right? Now that the gym is there, all of a sudden the open gyms now have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten guys doing parkour every week. So now the question is. The gym is creating the nexus point that allows the community to grow. Mm. And how do we entice that community to actually go engage with the world? That's yeah. going to be the next challenge for me and my local community, um, which is interesting because it sounds like in some sense, even though we have very different journeys, we're in the same place. How do we take people from the comfort of the gym, realize what it offers, but also what it holds back? And then yes. create the, the magnet that will pull people out of it. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know the, the perfect answer to that question just yet. So I don't know. <laughs> but well, let me ask you, 
what has been successful for you? I know that I've seen, you know, like the reason that I started paying attention to your stuff, I think you may have tagged me on Instagram. Like I've known your name in the community for a long time. Uh, but um, you, you were doing some parkour out in nature and you tagged me. And I was like, oh, it's wonderful. Um, are you sorry? I'm here. I'm okay, good. I couldn't hear you. Um, and so I was, I've always been curious to see this, you know, better integration of these communities, the parkour community, the movement culture community, the national movement community. Uh, so you, and it's hard because philosophically, I feel much, much, much years, much more connected to people from parkour than from uh, CrossFit. And yeah. people from outside, maybe they can relate, but I do more towards cross, CrossFit than parkour. But when I met people from parkour, I can practice together. I can talk about things. They usually are the people that drive more in, in new tasks because mm -hmm. they are the complex scenarios and challenges. So, yeah, I yeah. love it. I think it's the, yeah, to me, it's the most, uh, one of my big influences is, is, is play research, right? So what are the types of play that we find in every culture in the world, but then even in every species, yeah. exploratory locomotor play, learning to move through your environment is in every mammal, birds, lots of reptiles. It's uh, really, it was in Rio, uh, three days ago with two friends. Yeah. One of them is the chief of operations of the, the police, the poli police here in the favelas in Rio. So he, he has this combat things. He's dealing with the reality, but he's also a movement practitioner. Mm -hmm. I was there to practice. I went, I was to, to give a podcast and then I stayed in his home and it was so nice. Every day he has a waterfall and he has this big mountain full of waterfalls, like 10 minutes walking from his house. So every day we were going in the morning and in the afternoon, barefoot, climbing and going down the sunset in the dark, like barefoot, running downhill in the dark. It was so nice. Like the, what, what it made my, my body feel, uh, the, the, yeah, it, it was totally, I said, man, how I miss this, like not me, like not, not me, Rodrigo, but how these homo sapiens miss like this, this adrenaline and this, this necessity to, to uh, move yourself and operate with less light, yeah. barefoot, in, in velocity running. I love this. When I see your videos, uh, my wife, she, she loves this. I always say, hey, hey look, let's see this. And she said, this is a, because she she goes with me to the waterfalls yeah. and we are, we are the, the waterfall junkies. We go and, and when it, okay, it's released 7 a.m. We go 7 a.m. and we just go back when the sun set. And, and okay, sometimes I go there and I lie down and I read a book and I meditate, but I always go for a run and I like to move and, and the state of presence that it, it puts me like you have, it, it's it kind of what I feel. They probably will know much more and you can elaborate much more about that. But when I'm running in the rocks there barefoot, the way I feel is that if it doesn't have time for my mind to think, where am I going to put my feet? It feels like my body already chose it before. And the angle that my foot is going to step on the rock 
it's already everything is already calculated in a way and i feel very connected to that yeah absolutely so i think you were describing as an is flow state, right? You're you're inducting the flow state and you're you're moving in this highly complex way. And so what's interesting to me is I made this distinction between gymnastics and parkour many years ago. And I think that in a lot of ways it also maps to some degree to where movement culture is focused in its locomotor expression and where parkour is focused. Um parkour is a inherently in some sense about expressing very fundamental movement patterns, really simple stuff increasingly complex movement environments. Whereas um, gymnastics is about taking a very simple apparatus and finding all of the complexity that you can express within it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the same sense, the, the floor work that you guys do to the helicopteros and to the owls, everything like that, it's it's taking a very simple environment that's not very proprioceptively rich and finding that capacity to induce flow through upping the complexity level of the movement that's expressed. So um, Ido talks about self-dominance. Can you move yourself into any space that you want to? And I've thought about that as distinguished between an internal dominance and an external dominance. Mm -hmm. Can you move with mastery in relationship to the different positions your body can create in a simple space? Or can you move with mastery in any kind of environment that that is out there for you? Right. And for me, I'm more interested in the second. And I think it's more fundamental to how we evolved. Beautiful. Yeah, it reminds me of something. I don't know if you're familiar with Martin Kilvaldi. He's a dance guy. <laughs> yeah. He was part of the, 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 the Eslovaks group. I had so many classes with him. I'm a big fan. I consider him a teacher. And I remember him saying in a class, that he said that in the dance world, there are people, he was talking more about the dance world, by the way, what I remember. He said that in the dance world, there are people that specialize in doing a lot of difficult things, mm-hmm. looks easier, yeah. looks easy. And there are some people like him that specializes in makes a lot of simple things, looks <laughs> difficult. And for me, it's clear when I see him moving. He's just raising his legs and balancing it. And yeah. it's very simple things, but the way he does, it's another level. So it's very nice. It reminds, reminds me of this. Yeah. To make, we want to make the difficult look easy, but we also want to find the complexity within the simple. Yes. Yeah. So, um, okay. So you're talking about your experience with nature. So, what have you had some success? bringing your students into that environment saying okay we, we've cultivated you know imagine you have these people with incredibly educated capable bodies that have been cultivated in the gym they're strong they're mobile they're flexible they have great movement complexity now you want to entice them to go express it to experience what you experienced running down that mountain have you had any success getting those students to come and, and what what do you find helps them make that change that jump yeah not much yet. I have a few experiences taking them there. Uh, I'm feeling more and more mature to to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I have a team of seven teachers. So it's me plus seven teachers that teach in the facility. We meet each other every Friday and practice and, and plan the, the classes. And we once a year, we used to do some, uh, how do you say, internships, like yeah. uh, go to the woods. And I took them. Uh, four days in a place 
two hours by car from Brasilia, the place that I live, in the woods. And we were practicing these four days outdoors and by a river full of rocks, like big rocks, small rocks, water. And we were practicing there. And it was really, really nice to, to do like, I, I tried to mix as much as I could, some linear strength and some more organic strength, like using the rocks to lift like more in a more natural way, like finding the ways and then putting some specific tempo to do this and doing uh, some low gate locomotion uh, in the rocks and creating some constraints and some restrictions and running because this is something that I also, we don't see much in the, the, the way the movement culture is presented in the internet, but I feel that it's, if we run is not inside something called movement, I don't know what should be inside. It's very basic. But we run a lot and, and fire uh, and music at the end of the day. And when the students, they, they saw this in the internet, they said, hey, now you, just for the teachers, no. We should do this for the students. Let's do this more and more. Uh, I'm practicing a lot of rocking. I, I, there's, there are no terms here in Brazil. There are no, no one doing this like with this name rocking, like walking in the, the heat with a heavy bag. I'm doing a lot of rocking here recently alone. I usually I choose the, the hottest part of the day. I put the, the backpack, 15 kilos more or less, and then I go for rocking. So I'm mapping... The, the environment I'm getting used to, I, I want to take them there. Um, I'm using in the big classes, once a month I do a big class. Most of the classes are inside the facility, but at least every two big classes inside the facility, I make a point to, to take them outside and interact with the environment. But to be honest, it's still a little. I, I, I think I should do more, but it's, it's happening. Um, do you know Vance? Pubel, bacon man on the internet. Yeah, I know him. He's uh, such a character. I, I I never met him in person. Yeah. One of my students and friends, uh, he was his student since 14 years old. Now he might be okay. 28, 29. And he still practices parkour a lot, but also some other movement. Parkour movement, dance, I don't know. This is all the, the same names for the same things for me. But... <laughs> Uh, I met one of his students I love. I said same, same, but also different. Yeah, exactly. So I I love his videos. I love the the radicalism, the purity. He has some purity there in the things he does. And I heard a lot of stories by students of him. I think I'm going to meet him one day or another. I'm going a lot to Rio. He lives in Rio de Janeiro. So probably I'm going to know him. Do you know him? Uh, no, we've just interacted a little bit on online, right? Like there's, there's really like guys who specialized in, in movement and trees. It's me, uh, Vance, uh, Pedro Thomas, who's also uh, Brazilian. If you haven't seen, do you know Pedro Thomas? Yeah, I don't know. Never heard. Yeah. I, think I really, really enjoyed the way he moves. Take a look at it. He's a very, he has a very acrobatic fluid kind of ground style as well that uh, I think would I already wrote his name here, so I don't want. You would feel. I don't think he's been publishing anything recently of his movement. It's mostly just music and stuff he puts out now. But, but if you go back and look at his old videos, I think you'll get a lot out of them. Um, so me, Leo Urban, um, and Matt McCreary. Are, that's kind of Sevo Sasa a little bit. 
they're kind of the, the people who specialize. So it's a really small group of us in parkour who've really gone deep into exploring how to move in nature, particularly in trees. Um, so Vance, you know, when, well, actually when I put out my tree runner video, which was like my first really big kind of statement video about movement of trees, Vance commented because he had put out a video before mine also called tree runner. Um, but those trees that he has on that beach in Rio de Janeiro are some of the most amazing trees in the world. And I really, really want to come and visit them. That's a, something that I want to do. So you should go and visit Vance. Yeah, it's amazing. Such such complexity. We humans evolved to move in tropical trees. I don't live in a tropical area, but like fig trees in particular, um, primates co-evolved with fig trees for millions of years. Like that's the environment our bodies are designed for. Um, and so when I get a chance to go somewhere like that, it's like, oh, it's heaven. It's really cool. Um, so I wanted to talk to you. We've talked a lot about the relationship between parkour and um and movement culture and kind of your perspective on that, how that's developing, you know, what's developing within your, your particular school. Um, I want to just make sure we have time. Do you have a hard stop at uh, in, in five minutes or do you have a little bit of extra time? No, we can go. Okay. Sure. Cool. Cause I want to talk about Capoeira as well, because I think the relationship between Capoeira and movement culture is also really intriguing and so i've done i guess maybe a year of training capoeira so certainly nothing like my experience with parkour but i i, I think it's quite interesting and um talking about like what are the sorry too many thoughts now bubbling in my head so so you said ito had those 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 five pillars of movement right the somatic the expressive the locomotor the the manipulative and the and the combative wow. something like that Right. Um, they're yes. very, very, very much in line with 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 what I'm talking about. So one of my arguments is when we have to understand movement as a as a as a kind of a hub and spoke system where there are certain areas of movement that have more transfer to others than vice versa. And that's what needs to be at the center of our movement practice. We have to be we have to identify the right central practices. Um, one of the earliest conversations that I had about this was in reference to CrossFit. And um, CrossFit claimed gymnasts learn sports faster. They learn other sports faster than the other athletes. And I thought that CrossFit had fundamentally made a mistake in how they approach gymnastics. I don't think that gymnasts are good at learning other sports because they do more pull-ups and push-ups. I think it's because of the, the scaled complexity of gymnastics. So I met this Cirque du Soleil um, recruiter. And he said, yeah, gymnasts are good at learning sports. Like, so are parkour athletes. There were not very many parkour athletes yet at that stage. This was back in 2007. But he said the athletes that at Cirque who learned other sports the fastest were actually the capoeiristas. Hmm. That's always fascinated me because I think yeah. that in many ways, capoeira is already one of the most complete movement cultures. But it feels like as movement culture developed out of capoeira, it lost some of the most important pieces of capoeira. And so you've been in both. You've been in capoeira and you've been in movement culture. How do you see mm -hmm. that relationship and what, what maybe does the whole movement world need to still learn from capoeira that hasn't kind of completely gotten outside of it? A lot. A lot. Oh, man. This probably should be another whole podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but yeah, I have a lot of things to say. Um, 
even I, I have recently discovered that Ido is doing a lot of singing and rhythm work with with people that are with him right now. Yeah, uh, I think that he has some relationship with that. But okay, for me, for example, what happened to me as a kid? I I was the kind of kid that my parents were getting crazy because I don't know why. Probably because of lack of, of understanding, but some parents still think that a kid should choose one thing to focus and be good at one thing. And they were like, why, why you don't stop? I, I was playing soccer, Olympic, Olympic, Olympic gymnast, um, basketball, handball. I was doing, okay, no, I don't like it anymore. No, I'm going to go to do this. I'm going to go to do this. And then I found Capoeira. And then I remained there for a lot of time. And I'm going to use a term that I heard him saying that has a lot of nutrition. So for me, that's a perfect analogy. I found a lot of movement nutrition there, but not just movement, the, the community aspects, the, the rhythm, the music, even though in my group, unfortunately, I was never allowed to sing. I remember I was trying to sing. And then when, as soon as I started, no, 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 no. It's so, so bad. So bad. I said, Oh God. <laughs> Uh, it's hard to find some good environment, right? Nowadays, I'm doing singing class. I have just did like the three first class just to to fix this trauma that were installed. Yeah, I need the same. Yeah. yeah, and so it has a lot of nutrition. So I found a, a place that okay, here I, I can fulfill myself in in, in different ways, and. Uh, Sometimes I, when I was trying to learn something, people used to say that, ah, you learn fast because you do capoeira. And it's kind of taking the taking out the, the, the merit. Is that a word in English? The merit? Yeah. Yeah. Like, ah, no, you do capoeira. That's why. But no, it's exactly the opposite. Like, whoa, so nice. Because you do capoeira and you, you put your effort there. Now it's easier to, to learn some other things. It's not because I'm talent, I'm gifted, because I, I, I was born like this. But I felt this. I felt this when I was playing football, uh, then when I was going in the movement world or dance classes. And so I, I felt this. It's easier to, to learn new things. Like with the fighters, the MMA fighters, it's not that we, I don't, I think we should not get eluded deluded by if you know capoeira you're gonna learn how to fight in an mma competition no capoeira alone it won't do much otherwise we're gonna uh, be seeing a lot of capoeira fighters there but a lot of the capoeira uh, of the mma fighters especially the brazilians they had some experience they had some background in capoeira and this for sure helped them to deal with distance management rhythmicality uh, of not get so afraid of getting upside down also there are a lot of people that as soon as they are upside down like the world finishes they, they lose the conscience of what is happening and so yeah i think that a lot of, of mma fighters would benefit from capoeira i don't know if uh, exactly like okay, now you have to dedicate and devote some time to learn capoeira. Why are you training MMA? Probably they, they don't have time for that. That's why I think some of the things I'm doing with them has more impact just because of lack of time of training another, not other thing, th things. 
but I'm, I'm using a lot of things with them, like metronomes, different tempos, different drills of distance management that for sure Capoeira has some, some hole in there. Um, so yeah, I think that it helps people learn things faster. It helps people get used to watch mm -hmm. and be watched, be seen by others. Yeah. Like you have, it's, it's pure skin in the game, right? You are in the middle of, of the hoda. And, and, and also I think it's important to say that when we say capoeira, sometimes people can put into a box like one kind of capoeira that they, they saw. Maybe the group that Ido was part, for example, Cordão de Ouro, it, it's very floreo and acrobatics oriented. It's a, it's a more beautiful thing. Uh, my group was much more martial oriented. It's more linear. So I was never in a really good at acrobatics. Like compared to someone of my graduation in, in the other group, in Cordon de Ouro, I do nothing. But in my group, I was one of the only ones that were doing some, some floreo, some stuff. But low level compared to the other one. My group, it, it, has, uh, it has benefits and, and also some some bad sides of that. I was very small, very skinny. And as soon as I started to get more graduated, like I, went, I was going to street hodas and it has a lot of violence. Like I was engaging in, in some violent capoeira hodas, like the heart pumping and sometimes fights. And sometimes I, the, the police had, had to come. So I was part of this, I don't know if it's bad, side of capoeira this, this dark side maybe but it's part of the culture it was born like this here in brazil so it's part of the culture also and what i i'm i'm, I'm just vomiting a lot of things about capoeira that are in my mind right another thing that i think happened to capoeira is because we were exporting a lot of people to the to the other places of the world the good capoeiristas start to go away from Brazil. So we start to lose the human material here. Because here it's very hard to make money yeah. uh, uh, teaching capoeira. My teacher, I still have a good contact with him. He's my teacher, my master, my friend. Uh, he's one of the only persons that I know that lives from capoeira. He's raising two kids and teaching capoeira full, full on, full day. A very special guy. But it's hard to do it here. Usually people do this as a, as a hobby, just like as a second part of their lives. And the good ones started to travel. And it creates something good also. Because, okay, and then the people were born in the favelas here. And then they thrived in Capoeira. And then suddenly he's living in, in Paris. Totally different environment, different culture, different way of treating people. And they, they have to adapt. Maybe less violent, less malandro. This word in Portuguese, malandro, it's a very, very tricky word. It's a street smart, let's say. I, I could never found a translation, but the, the malandro culture here in Brazil is very, very strong. Unfortunately for the both sides. So you have to be a good malandro. Yeah, the way you approach life, how to get into a uh, more violent street, a favela, but also like the, 
the corruption here and the politics and people trying to take advantage of the other, it's very strong as well. But I saw that people that went to other places in the world, they start to transform capoeira and then they started to open the eyes of people that are were here in Brazil trying to do some, some good work and say, hey, let's make it more professional. Mm-hmm. And I even think that movement, movement culture helped a little bit because for sure a lot of people angry with that. For sure a lot of people angry with it though. I also received, ah, this is just capoeira, blah, 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 blah. But maybe this provocation, this jealous the thing that happened make them start to uh, elaborate more the way they are teaching the way they are passing the message the way they are warming up the way they are preparing the body the way they are calm, uh, calm. so yeah making it more professional so it's the collective knowledge right as soon as more people who are doing uh, all, all the practice get benefits from it. There's, a, there's this, you know, that, that thing that I said that Ido offered was that conceptual debt, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think, you know, a lot of Capoeira, like parkour, it comes from the streets, right? And so it doesn't necessarily have that, that articulation. And there's something that's very valuable about that because it can, because the, the, the articulation can actually take you away from the intuitive awareness. So we have to balance them, but there are, there are those other dyma- dynamics. There's something I've heard uh, from students I have who come from the Capoeira communities. The, the community dynamics can get really toxic in Capoeira. Um, and so that's something we want to, to learn from. <laughs> but what you said about that, it, it donates well to these other things, to MMA. It's not a good base for an MMA fighter. But it's a good. It's a no, good I think it's a good base. Or it's not a good. Yeah. Okay. What's the term? I I, say, I said that maybe it doesn't fit. Yeah. Like the amount of training that they already have to have in more specific things. The best scenario would be in the base when they were kids, like from twelve to eighteen. Yeah. They were doing a lot of capoeira instead of specializing like straightforward in the more in the other techniques probably it would be better to have this base right yeah i i, I really like grappling as a base but i love capoeira as part of this this overall system uh, it's hard to get access to where i am but uh what's beautiful to me what i think is unique about it is the the complexity Right. If, if you think about this idea of like taking on more and more complex movements. So you do it in gymnastics, you do it in movement culture and parkour. We do it through the way we interact with the environment and capoeira. It's done by scaling the, the complexity of the movement, but also in relationship to the interaction with the partner. Yes. And, and it's not a clear interaction, right? Because sometimes it's in opposition. Sometimes it's in collaboration. Yes. Sometimes it's in opposition with a smile in the face. Sometimes it's in collaboration, but trying to make the other one suspicious. Yeah, it's so nice. That's what's yeah, that's what's really interesting. It's in this liminal space between cooperative dance and competitive martial arts. It's it's really like it's really right on the on the line. And so it teaches elements of both. And so it can donate, right? It's like you can go capoeira b-boy or capoeira MMA, right? And um, and then the, the folklore and the music element, like as we're talking about what a movement culture can be, 
I think it needs to be part of a culture, right? It needs to, like, I, I don't, I don't want to be rich in movement culture and poor in folklore and poor in music and poor in singing, um, poor in, in, in agriculture, right? I want to. Or social skills in emotional development, in treating yeah. people the right way. Yeah, everything. Yeah, I want the gymnasia practice to be built to donate to those things and be better connected and integrated to all these other elements. And I think that the fundamental problem we have is that people are actually um, impoverished culturally across almost all the dimensions, right? They don't have woods culture. They don't have movement culture. They don't have food culture. They don't have a music culture, right? All those things are now things that we just give to professionals, right? Yes. Right? We just watch it. people do it. We don't do it ourselves. And we want to return to doing it ourselves. That's the that's really the message. And I think Capoeira is very interesting because it contains so many of those things. Yes. Um, and I think that that like as as what we've done is developed it uh, at our retreats. Like the music has come on now. There are songs that have been composed by our students that mm -hmm. have been you know taught in multiple retreats over and over again. There are people who are like song keepers in our community um and and their stories right there are stories that are that are told that are part of the folklore of what we're doing and all of that like actually turns out to be really really powerful in creating a culture that allows the movement to penetrate more deeply and actually create the transformation that we're looking for yeah i lately uh, we are doing a lot of rhythm, rhythm work in the facility, a lot, uh, especially because of the influence of a guy that is my teacher here. He's a hip-hop teacher, and I had never had any interest in learning hip-hop, but he's such a good teacher that I, I fell in love yeah. by him or by hip-hop or both, yeah. because the way he teaches, like always explaining where it comes from, Mm -hmm. from the, the Afro-diasporic uh, influences and how it, it, go, it went to, to, to North America and the, the street culture. And, and he is teaching without choreography. He, his method is uh, teaching dance without choreography. So uh -huh. he's teaching concepts. He's using like um, the, the musical pose and, and he's explaining what is rhythm and teaching musical compass and and I'm now three or four of my teachers of the facility, they are doing classes with him every week. Uh, today, I, I'm missing his class right now. I'm sorry, but <laughs> it's for the podcast. I do every, every Thursday in the afternoon. And I brought him to the facility three times already uh, to give like big classes and seminars and workshops to people. And he's influencing me a lot and the culture and the practice about this this layer that uh, I found like some some good ways with him to insert this thing that happens a lot in Capoeira inside the, the movement perspective. Yeah, the, the, I, I was writing a thread about what I think are the fundamental movement practices. Like So I actually think like team sport is one of the most important things that you should do, but which team sport? What is, which are the team sports that donate the best? And I think it's basketball and rugby, but we can go into that. But which in terms of footwork, ah. footwork, basketball for me, they are the kings. 
yeah. in terms of physical preparedness, like rugby, they are the kings. Yeah, the, the thing I like about basketball is that every player does all of the actions and oh, it yeah. involves overhand throwing and catching, um, like fundamental, and then manipulating the object. Um, because so, so like you can, if you're a good point guard, you can probably maybe do a little bit of quarterbacking and, and right. So it's a good donor sport. But I also think that if you think about rhythm as a fundamental athletic quality, um, African dance and its derivatives, capoeira, hip hop, et cetera, is, is more, has more potential donor capacity than any of the other dances that I'm aware of. Like maybe Bollywood is, is there too. But like for me, if I'm looking at the complete development of the athlete, the type of dance that I want to do is something that's Africa, Africa, um, diaspora. I don't know that much about dance. So, uh, that's not necessarily my strong suit, but just as I'm playing with the concepts and that aspect of the, of the rhythm, rhythm is incredibly important in parkour and people don't realize how much it's the, this kind of, um, in, it's the invisible jujitsu of parkour mm-hmm. is the capacity to control rhythmic timing and phrases and, and connecting all these movement elements. So when people say someone has good flow, a big part of what they're saying is they can control the rhythm of these different things and make them connect well. Um, but we don't realize that that's what we're, what we're doing. So we don't have, uh, as a community, there's not a lot of sophisticated means of challenging and growing that specific capacity and that's something that's super interesting to me so i'm just excited that you're doing that with your hip-hop and the way that you're applying that to your fighters i want to just finish with one discussion because we we said that we would come back to this i was introduced by you know to the i method and well actually i was introduced to the i method by matt thornton matt who matt thornton so the founder of Straight Blast Gym. So slightly different variation of it, right? Um, so, so Matt's is introduce, isolate, and integrate. So you introduce an arm bar, you isolate it in in positional sparring drills, and then you integrate it into your broader game. Anito offers you isolate a technical capacity, you build it into phrases, and then you then you improvise with it. Um, I moved away from that a long time ago. And it's funny because I think that Matt's is actually closer to what I'm talking about than Ito's is. But when you look at the constraints-led literature and the task, um, kind of task-oriented literature, what you see is that, um, it's, it's very, it's very strange actually to start in isolation. People learn through relationship to task. And if you just try to isolate the form and the pattern, they're not getting the information that actually tells them whether that pattern is acceptable. And you can also be constraining them from using variation that's really valuable. So the way that we've gone into thinking about it is um, explore. So introduce a task, explore the parameters of the task. Then I like to actually go to principles next. So if I'm teaching somebody to do a series of parkour vaults and I want them to understand flow, I let them go through it. Then I talk about the principles of flow and only then do I isolate the technical capacities and why they express the principles. And then last, we go to scaling the complexity of the demands. So you explore this task space and then at the end, you're being chased. You're having to do it improvisationally. You're doing 
you're doing it while chasing people. You're doing it in integration with the game. Um, so that's that's kind of the model that, that we're operating with. So I'm curious how you have developed your understanding of when that I method is really optimal and where it fails and how you address um, its failure points. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. This is something that I keep thinking about a lot uh, since some years ago, because I realized I was taking the students by the hands too much, like helping too much. Yep. And, uh, and this probably from outside looks like a good teacher. And sometimes you feel that the, the students feel that I'm a good teacher because I'm like trying to correct everything and helping with every process. In there. But then I realized they were not developing themselves in new scenarios and learning new things. They were getting stuck there. And there are a few things that crossed my mind. One is, first, I like to exposure more, like without much explanation. Yeah. So, and then see how they deal with that without many, many informations. And I'm, I like to think about the sister Corita Kent. 10 rules for students and teachers. One of them is don't try to create and analyze at the same time. Mm. So they are different processes. Yeah. So instead of keep correcting while they are doing, first you let them do. Yeah. Uh, no corrections. And then, okay, if you feel that you should stop and give some, some things or another, okay, give some more cues. And it depends on the type of activity because Sometimes, okay, let's go for improvisation, but improvise on top of what? Sometimes people just don't have, like, like a musician, improvise, but they don't, don't know the basic, basic notes. The I felt this a lot with dance. Uh, right at the beginning, I don't know, seven, seven, eight, nine years ago, I was going to dance experiences, workshops, or some things like this, and okay, now you dance, now you put out what you have. And my feeling was like, I don't have anything. <laughs> I don't have anything to show. I don't have anything to put it out. Probably some psychological blockage, some body blockage, some lack of vocabulary. Oh, yeah. yeah I was very uh, benefited by some isolation of some pieces and gaining some things. Um, and then because that happened to me, maybe I took it too far with the students in the first years. Like I was isolating too much and not playing enough. And nowadays I talk to the teachers all the time, like every class, at least one moment we should have of open exploration, chaos, tasks, problem solving. So uh, it, it's, it's kind of a non-written rule that we have there. Okay, we can isolate some things, we can give them some vocabulary, but we should use we should use in, in a more open scenario. Uh, so maybe you can use more a top-down approach. Maybe start with a bottom-up approach and then you improvise and you you, you don't think. The, 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 the situation is making the things happening. And then I say, okay, now let's do some more top-down approach. And what we were doing, how can we do it better? What pieces uh, can we insert here and then? Boom, bottom up again at the end with more vocabulary. So I am liking to play with that during the classes. Like 
let's say in the micro cycle, but also in the macro cycle. So always thinking like, okay, this month let's improvise more. So the percentage is going to be like 80% of improvisation and open scenarios and 20% of more closed scenarios. And then maybe in the beginning of the year, a lot of new people get into the facility and this is a big challenge because how can you make it still interesting for people that are there for five years and approachable for people that has just come. So it's, I'm using this seasonal, seasonal ability, seasonal, like the movement is seasonal. Like it has the, the seasons. And for example, I'm, I'm using more the flow work. It's easier to, to do this in places that has different the seasons well-defined, like winter and summer. Here is more like dry season, almost cold season, which is an insult for people that really lives in cold places. But for us, it's very, for us, it's very cold. So since in June, July, people goes with long sleeves and pants, let's let the, the floor work for June and July. I'm saying this because um, I think it, there's no rule. Like We are trying to, to define because we have a business, we have a facility, and we have to pass the, the knowledge forward. Um, but at the same time, we have to react about like when is the time that new people came, when is the time of the year that people are more like, stressed, like uh, after some lockdown, what they what they really need, or when people were wearing masks or something like this. Okay, no contact. We have to deal with no contact class for a long time, and then okay, now we should rescue that uh, this and and insert the contact again. So yeah, it's a plane. It's a back and forth. It's open the scenario, close the scenario. I don't have any specific rule. It's much more of a, a feeling thing. Sometimes trying to, to define, sometimes reacting. Yeah, it's, uh, I think I was, I was writing this down as I was writing my notes for this. And I was thinking about it's nonlinear, right? So it's like I think the best place to start is with constraint uh, or with uh, a constraint and openness, right? And then and then you kind of go down from there, but. Um, but there's always there's always loops, right? So you can go sometimes within. Okay, so you're you're expressing, you're doing your your exploration of a constraint space or a task, and then you see the technique come out, and it's time to let's do this, let's make this good, and then we can loop back to this technique is important because principles, or we go back to the open exploration, or we go down to the expression, especially as 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 athletes get more advanced, we have more capacity to flow between these loops and i think it's really nice to just rather than seeing it as a linear pathway to see it as a set of loops and principles that you want to repeatedly come to sometime in isolation sometime in uh an exploration sometime in scale and complexity sometime in comprehension of principle um so that's the school i feel like there's a there's a commonality in, in the evolution of how you're, you're you're playing with those variables and uh, I guess it's time for us to uh, to end the interview anyways, because my camera just died. Uh, <laughs> great expression on my face to end the interview here. Um, so thank you very much. I really enjoyed uh, having a chance to chat with you. Um, for folks who are looking for you, your uh, P-R-A-T-I-Q-E, Pachique, Movimento, M-O-V-I-N-T. 
E-N-T-O. That's uh, what you go by on Instagram and all the socials as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's the, the Instagram account of my facility, mm -hmm. Pratica Movimento. And mine is Rodrigo Salo Lima. And, and that's it, folks. Uh, if you want anyone want to come to Brazil, get in, get in contact with us, make a visit. It's going to be a pleasure to receive you here. And Rafe, thank you a lot. Really, I am very grateful for that. It's an honor for me to have this conversation with you. I feel that with some person like you and about this kind of subjects, I can go for much more. So it was a pleasure. Anything, not any, anything even close to some heavy or getting me tired, for sure I'm going to live here full of energy. So thank you a lot. Thank you very much.